invitation. You know, it's good to be back. <laughs> it's good to be home. Um, before we begin this morning, I, I want to tell you um, just right up front where it is that I'm going, what it is that we'll be doing in the Word of God this morning. We're going to be in Psalm 23. And, uh, and here's my point, my main point. I'm going to be talking about lots of things, and I don't want anybody to go home today thinking, wow, he was all over the place. What exactly was he talking about? So I just want, I want to give that to you right up front, and that way I can give myself permission to wander all over the place and you know where we're going. No matter what we go through, the Lord is our reward. And I, I know it feels hot and stuffy in here this morning, but that's actually the Holy Spirit. Uh, Robert had to turn on the fans to kind of get him to circulate around this morning. I hope that, that, um, that as we spend time together, the Holy Spirit will be speaking to you. Because no matter what we go through, the Lord is our reward. Now, there's a reason that I want to preach that message. I want to prepare you for a ritual that we are going to do. Not even this week. I want to give you time to think through it, to um, let your soul saturate in this message that no matter what we go through, the Lord is our reward. Because next week we'll be taking communion. My entire sermon will be built around us taking communion together. And I want to let you know that those two things are connected. That the ritual of us breaking the body and drinking the blood is something that is deeply, deeply meaningful. And, uh, and so I want to give us a, a long time to get our hearts to an understanding, get our, our, our minds and our souls to a place where we are ready to do that. Amen? Amen. If you could turn with me to Psalm 23. I'll be reading out of the English Standard Version. Um, I, to be totally honest with you, I think the, the good old King James kind of is the most beautiful rendering of this. Nevertheless, we're going to stick with the ESV because that's what I have. But if you want to really dive into the poetry of the verse, I think that the old King James does, does it pretty good. Let's read together. And when I say in your hearts, and I will, <laughs> I will read it. We don't need the train wreck this morning. Uh, psalm 23, a psalm of David. Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside stars. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod, you prepare a table before me 
You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I have heard um, a lot of sermons on Psalm 23. I want to preach for you almost every sermon I've ever heard in about five minutes or less. Are you ready? And, uh, and if it resonates with you, if you've heard it before, and you just want to shout out amen, you go ahead. If you, need to, if you need to dance a little bit or something, that's permissible too. But remember, we're free Methodists, but we're still Methodists. So dancing, okay, but not too much. Um, sorry, a denominationalism joke. Woo! You see here... This is all about sheep and shepherding. And we can look at this entire song. For the Lord is my shepherd. He leads us to green pastures. These are the places where we can find comfort and we can find rest. No matter where we are at, God wants to take us to the green pasture, to the quiet waters, to restore our souls. And he's not going to take us in a crazy direction through the brush. He's going to take us on right paths. He's going to take us there easily as long as we'll trust him, as long as we'll listen to his voice. We'll get to the green pasture. We'll get to the still waters. Our our souls will be restored. In fact, we we can have confidence that when we are going through the valley of the shadow of death, this dark and scary place, that we do not dwell there, but we move through it. Because the Lord is our shepherd. He's not taking us to the valley of the shadow of death to live there. He's taking us to the green pastures. Don't we have green pastures in our lives? Or maybe we're in the shadow. Maybe we're walking through the valley. Maybe we're in a place in our lives that is so dark and what we need to do is lean on Jesus to be our shepherd to call us out. Because he will prepare us a table in the presence of our enemies. He anoints our heads with oil and our cups are overflowing. Does your cup feel empty? Does your head and your mouth feel exceptionally dry? If you lean on the Lord, if you listen to your shepherd, he'll change that for you. Yes, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me like sheepdogs. They're going to keep me going on the right paths. They're not going to let me to the left or the right. They are going to herd me in the direction of the shepherd. And, and one, one day, as I can now, but certainly in the future, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen? This morning I'd like to give you a different illustration. A different illustration of this psalm. And I don't mean to say that that little tiny sermon that I just preached is wrong. There's truth laden all the way through that. But I want to just paint a little bit of a different picture. Verse 1 starts how? No. A Psalm of David. We skipped that part, but it's important. I want to use things from David's life that illustrate these various lines of poetry that will give us a different picture of what it is that maybe this psalm is telling us. 
Will you give me a little latitude this morning? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Let me just turn back a little bit. We go into 1 Samuel, and there's, there's two illustrations that I would like to show you here that may be inspiring this. We all know the story of David and Goliath. We're going to be camping out there just for a little bit this morning. Uh, so the story goes something like this. David is this runt. Others are all big and strong, and he's ruddy and yet handsome. For the life of me, I'm not really sure what ruddy means, but it seems to me kind of like a backhanded compliment. Like perhaps ruddy and yet handsome, right? Um, And Samuel, God tells Samuel, I'm taking the kingdom from Saul because of his disobedience, and I'm giving it to someone who is better. So he tells Saul or Samuel to go and anoint this new king, and he says he's in this household. So Samuel goes and sees all of the young men of this household, and all of them are exceedingly strong and handsome and that sort of deal, and God says go to each one of them. Until Samuel says, isn't there somebody else of this household? Because God told me to anoint somebody here. And David says, or Jesse says, yes, David's out in the field, but he's a nobody. Samuel says, I'm not even going to sit down until you bring him in. So they do, and God says, this is the guy. Samuel pours oil over David's head and anoints him as king over Israel. And that is the point in time that David's life really turns for the worst. It's not this story where David ascends his way to the throne and people start bowing to him, but actually it's a story of starvation, frustration, of mixed messages. God has anointed you and yet the king will kill you. Friendship and betrayal living in caves and literally starving to death. This is the story of David. When he goes out to slay Goliath, some people say, you're nothing but a youth, and you're going to go attack this giant? Let me tell you what David says to them. Small print. Got to get it. Got to get it up close here. Oh, this is First Samuel chapter seventeen. We will start in verse thirty-three. And Saul said to David, "You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth." But David said to Saul. Your servant used to keep sheep for his father. I don't know about you, but if I gave somebody the challenge, hey, listen, you're about to get killed. And he says, yes, yes, but listen, I was a shepherd. To me, that may not be the best qualification for slaying giants. 
But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father, and when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears. And this uncircumcised, uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion, from the paw of the bear, will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. You notice that David's answer was not just, I can go and fight because I was a shepherd. I can go and fight because I was a good shepherd. And there's a lot of nasty things, lions and bears. And I love the line, I grab them by the beard and strike them and deliver. To me, this paints just this awesome picture of a 12-year-old Who's, who's got this, this giant lion who's got a lamb in his mouth, and the 12-year-old grabs the lion by the beard and strikes him. And says, Give me my lamb back. But notice what else David says. He says, because the Lord delivered me. See, David did not see himself as the only good shepherd with the lamb in the mouth of the lion. He understood, too, that he would be in the mouth of the lion and that it took another good shepherd to deliver him. The Lord is my shepherd. He is the good shepherd, and he will deliver me. I want... To take a look at Samuel chapter 20, 1 Samuel chapter 20, at another time when David was laying in a field, just because that's what we're doing in Psalm 23, laying down in the green pastures. I want to take a look at a time when David was laying down in a green pasture and what an amazing experience that was for him. Here's, here's the story as it goes on. David kills Goliath, has great victory. Saul gets super jealous. And to make matters worse, everybody starts falling in love with David, to include Saul's daughter. And Saul says they were knit together in kinship. Their hearts were knit together, David and Jonathan. And Saul goes to kill David. And... Jonathan says, hey, listen, he's not going to kill you. David says, oh, yes, he is. Now, David had an obligation to eat at the king's table because he was a servant of the king. So he would have to eat in the presence of Saul who wanted to kill him. And as Saul is sitting at his table, he notices that David's place is empty for two days. And he asks Jonathan, he says, where is David? Jonathan goes to sound out Saul and see, does he really want to kill my best friend David? And he says, well, he went to go make a sacrifice in his hometown. He's going to be gone for a little bit. Don't worry, he asked me permission. 
So he's good to go. And Saul got so mad that he didn't have the opportunity to kill David, that he tried to kill his own son. And it was at that point Jonathan knew he's serious. Now, Jonathan had instructed David not to come to the table, which was prepared for him in the presence of Saul, his enemy, but to go hide in a field near where they would dine. And Jonathan said, I will go out, and as you are laying in the field, you hide behind this certain rock. Now, I'm going to shoot an arrow, and I'm going to tell the little kid who's next to me, hey, go fetch the arrow. As he goes and runs to fetch the arrow, I will give you instructions. First Samuel chapter 20, verse 24. So David hid himself in the field. When the new moon came and the king sat down to eat field, the king sat on his seat, as at other times, on the seat by the wall. Jonathan sat opposite and Abner sat by Saul's side. But David's place was empty. Yet Saul did not say anything that day, for he thought something has happened to him. He's not clean. Surely he's not clean. But on the second day, the day after the new moon, David's place was empty. And Saul said to Jonathan, his son, Why has not the son of Jesse come to the meal, either yesterday or today? Jonathan answered Saul, David earnestly asked to leave of me to go to Bethlehem. He said, Let me go, for our clan holds a sacrifice in the city, and my brother has commanded me to be there. So now, if I have found favor in your eyes, let me get away and see my brothers. For this reason, he has not come to the king's table." Then Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan, and he said to him, You son of a perverse, rebellious woman, do I not know that you have chosen the son of Jesse to your own shame, to the shame of your mother's nakedness? For as long as the son of Jesse is on the earth, neither you nor your kingdom shall be established. Therefore, send and bring him to me, for he shall surely die. I want to... Skip down to verse number 37. After he shot the arrow. When the boy came to the place of the arrow that Jonathan had shot, Jonathan called after the boy and said, Is not the arrow beyond you? Jonathan called after the boy, Hurry! Be quick! Do not stay! So Jonathan's boy gathered up the arrows and came to his master. But the boy knew nothing. Only Jonathan and David knew the matter. David's laying in a field when there has been a place prepared for him to eat in the presence of his enemies. And he's laying there because his life is being sought out. God provides a way for him. But I just want to make this hypothesis. Maybe David isn't talking about situations that are really pleasant when he talks about laying in green fields, being beside calm waters, having his, having his soul restored. Maybe he's not talking about times in his life that were good. In fact, if you will read through the Old Testament of the accounts of David, very few of them are him sitting around in the hidden valley where rainbows and kittens abound. But he is usually living in a cave somewhere, pretending to be insane. He's starving. 
Even when he's a king, his children are trying to kill him. Something is going very, very wrong for David. In fact, as I searched through the stories of David, I was hard-pressed to find one where David is lounging, having a good time, and he made it to the green fields and water. He's made it through the valley of the shadow of death. God is just being so good to David. He's kicking up his feet. He's, they aren't there. I'm not saying he didn't have those moments in his life, but I'm saying the moments that define David, the places where this prayer would have been something that poured out soul, were not places in the hidden valley with rainbows and kittens. There were nasty, nasty places. I want to read one more story. Let's go to 1 Samuel chapter 21. This is right after David has escaped. Saul is out. He's hunting him down. And everybody knows that if you have anything to do with David, Saul will kill you. David is starving to death, and he has no place to go and no friends. So he goes to the priest in the city of Nob. And he says, I need something to eat. And he tells a little lie and says, hey, Saul sent me. I'm on a super secret mission. Don't tell anybody. But I need uh, some weapons if you got them and some food if you got it. And the priest says to him, well, hey, listen, I don't have um, anything but the showbread. The only food, the, the table that has been prepared is God's table. That's all that I have. And the only sword that I have is the sword that you killed Goliath with, his own sword. And David said, fine. David takes the meal that has been prepared for God. He eats it. Now, here's what happens. There's a man who is there in the spirit, as they were prone to do in those times, lay around in the spirit. And, um, and he saw David there. And when Saul comes knocking... This man tells Saul everything. Now Saul goes to the city. He not only cuts the throat of the priest, but every other man of God in the city, he kills them all. But that's not enough. He goes into the city. He kills every woman, every child, every pet, every piece of livestock, everything. He slaughters them. This was the cost of David's meal. I think it paints a little bit of a different picture when we say, you prepare a place for me, a table before me in the presence of my enemies. There's other psalms that say things like, and God took my enemies by the beard, and he struck them and shattered them upon the rocks. God has put my feet over my enemies, but he doesn't in Psalm 23. In Psalm 23... All of the bad things don't go away. They stay there. He goes through the valley of the shadow of death. He eats in the presence of his enemies. 
David had something. He had the Lord as his shepherd. No matter what we go through, the Lord is our reward. What was David talking about then when he said, you lead me into green pastures? David, I don't see them. He leads me beside quiet waters. Where? He restores my soul. He leads me on the right paths. Dude, these were the paths from the Philistine cities to the caves. Back to the Philistine cities, into the priest, back out to the caves. What are you talking about, the right paths? These are horrible paths. If God was going to give you a path straight to the throne, don't you think he could have made it a little straighter, a little wider, paved it a little better? Here's the secret. The field... The pasture is not a place, it's God. The quiet waters is not a place, it's not a circumstance, it's God. As we read through the stories of David, the one thing that we can see that he never went without was God's presence. That's what David had. He could eat in the presence of his enemies. He could hide out in the fields. He could live in the back of caves. Because he had the presence This is David's secret. This is our secret. How can we live like that? How can we live in a place where circumstances are horrible? Where it feels like we have every right to point our finger at God the Father and say, What are you doing? This hurts. This is tragedy. Where are my green fields? Where's my quiet water? Every one of those prayers is answered with an invitation to intimacy. We say, God, why aren't you answering my prayers? I can't, we can't fathom how much that would hurt the Almighty who does answer our prayers with me. You get me. But what about my car that's broken down? What about my parents who are sick? What about my friends who don't know the Lord? What about me losing my job? What about kids hating me? What about all these other things? God answers us and he says, I give you me. I give you my soul, my peace, my rest. And here I am foolishly pointing the finger, refusing it, saying, no, you owe me a green pasture. No, you owe me quiet waters. Let me give you some encouragement. You, this flock of people, this flock of sheep, as it were, so I'm not one individual a sheep. I know some people don't like that. Take it up with Jesus. <laughs> is full of sheep who know the shepherd's voice. Is full of been through. They're living in the valley of the shadow of death. They're living there. 
They've camped out there. The Holy Spirit has asked them to hang out there. And they're doing it in the presence of the Lord. I could point to people all around you who are old warriors, young warriors. You in this church have this rich, rich history of people who know the Lord, who refuse to leave His presence no matter what life brings them. No matter what God has for them, they rejoice even in the sadness. Not because they don't feel sadness, but because it pushes them further onto the lap of the Almighty. I invite you to do the same. In fact, I don't even need to tell you the names of the people who are doing that right now. Let me do it just to entertain though. How about Bessie Rundle? How about Donna Gibson? How about Ginny Dennison? How about Orville Dean? How about Phil Lowry? Bruce and Billy Palmer, Mike and Debbie Crouch. We have people all over this congregation who are camped out in the valley of the shadow of death. When you step into their presence, you're stepping into the presence of the Lord. Can we celebrate those people? Can we celebrate that God? Are you in a terrible situation? Do you feel the pressure of the world, of the devil, of whatever it is that's just beating you up? Are you living in tragedy? Do you deal with pain? It's God's invitation to presence, to a deeper understanding. I want you to prepare your hearts for something. In John, Jesus makes this claim. He says, I am the bread of life, and I am the good shepherd. Claim that he is who Psalm 23 is about. And he's right. As the good shepherd lays down his sheep. I would like you to prepare your hearts. Next week, we are going to celebrate together the body and the blood of the Good Shepherd who died and who rose again, in whom we put all of our hope and all of our trust. I would ask that you allow the Spirit of God to press in on you this week to teach you how you might deepen your relationship with Him. We'll talk more about that next week, how those, those practices are going to work out in your life. We're going to celebrate together. But for this week, I would like for you to allow the Holy Spirit to press in on you and to lead you. David doesn't go into the presence of the Lord by himself in Psalm 23. He is led. He is restored. He has a table prepared for him. He doesn't do any of that himself. The Spirit of God has to lead you into His presence. Would you pray for that this week? Would you pray for it all week? Would you look around and be ready for the Holy Spirit to show you people who are around you in your life who need the presence of God? Amen? Let's pray together.
Heavenly you are the good shepherd. You are everything that we need. Because you are my shepherd, I shall want. My feet are upon the rock. I can go no lower because I am in your presence. No matter what happens to us, no matter where we go, we cannot be separated from your presence. We celebrate that with you and we ask for your Holy Spirit to fall on us. We ask for Jesus to be our rock and to be our guide. We ask that you would allow us to stand on you. In your holy name we pray. Amen.